I'm so grateful for the Lord that he'd have mercy on us to visit with us. I found in the scripture multiple times when people missed his visitation. I don't want to miss his visitation. Amen. I just have a single scripture tonight to present to you. It's from the book of Ezekiel chapter 22. And I greet the commonwealth of faith, joint heirs of Jesus Christ. I come with an admonition which I know is from the heart of the Lord. It's for our time. It's for our lives. When Ezekiel stepped to the podium, he saw multiple things that troubled him. God spoke through him as one of the sounding prophets. The nation of Israel had waged many wars. All the wars that they lost were not due to the onslaught of the enemy or the strength of their opponent. They lost every war because they forsook the law of the Lord. Israel never lost a war because they didn't have enough men. They never lost a war because they did not have enough swords. They never lost a war because they were not equipped enough. They lost every war because they forsook God's law and his order. That's it. There's not one battle you're ever going to lose because you're not strong enough. You're not intellectual enough. But if you're going to lose a battle, it's because you forsook the law of God. If you want to win every battle in your life, you stay in the book and be devoted to the law of Jesus Christ. You're never going to be defeated. You're never going to be cast down. You're never going to be wiped away or wasted because God is going to be with you. Amen. Amen. So one scripture now in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel, perhaps the mouthpiece of God now, Ezekiel says, and I sought for a man among them. If you don't go any further, you have to take into consideration that the pronoun them entails the people of God. It does not include the heathen or the unbeliever or the lawless. He was looking among his own people. He was looking among what we might recognize in our vernacular, the church. But he didn't find anyone there. The purpose of his search was that he would find someone that should make up the hedge, someone who would stand in the gap before him for the land, that it would not be destroyed. He was looking for that. And for a moment, I speak this message, the voice of Mordecai. Amen. The voice of Mordecai. Amen. Before I turn the page and you're seated, before that happens, I just want you to know that the Lord is true to his word. He's true to his word. Tammy went to the grocery store a couple days ago and uh, yesterday bought a whole bunch of grapes. I almost brought a cluster of grapes tonight, but 
Let's go buy all the grapes up. Just put them on our counter. Until they're no good to eat, just let them sit there and say, no, I'm going to get all those grapes. Nobody's going to take my grapes. That's probably what I should have been preaching. No one will take my grapes. (laughs) Amen. So just before we turn the page, I have to tell you, God is true to his word. He's in the business of restoring our lives. But I don't want to just live thankful without action. And I don't want to live happy, go lucky. The Lord's called us to do something. Amen. And all the people said amen. Now close your eyes. Fold your Bibles. Thrust your hands up in the air. Open up your hearts and your voices. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Anoint this whole place with the oil of anointing with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Help us to hear your voice, Lord, in Jesus' name. Move in your Holy Spirit. And I pray that in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. For the Lord is good. Amen. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. In the fall of the year, the king of Persia decided to conclude his 180-day celebration of his own monarch, He ended that six-month-long party with a final banquet that lasted another seven days. The king's palace, humming with people and singing and food and dancing. From the least to the greatest, the Bible says that many were included who were in the citadel of Zuza, from the least to the greatest. The scripture states that by the king's own decree, He he made it in order, which it appears by deductive reasoning that it was unusual. Here is the order of the king. There was no limit on how much alcohol the guests could drink. It's in your Bible. And so without much constraint... They drank themselves past the point of civility. Then, as the week was almost concluded, the king thought it a good idea to parade his wife in front of all the guests, all of them now drunk and certainly inappropriate. But she thought otherwise. In fact, she thought too much of herself to be used as a spectacle, and she denied his request and stayed in her own quarters. Whatever lucidity the king might have had, it was gone now from that free-flowing wine. When she rejected him, even the noblemen were angry. 
They went to him and said, you can't stand for this or all of our wives will, will disobey what we say. So he banished her from the kingdom and from his presence. In our world, they divorced, but it might be much more severe than that. We're not privy to the final details of her dismissal or what happened to her. Now time would pass as the king searched for a new, perhaps more pleasant wife. Persia's best came before him, but none could match the grace and the beauty of a young girl named Esther. In short order, the king chose her to be his new queen, not knowing that in fact she was a Jew. She didn't look like a Jew because her father advised her not to tell. For all the king knew, he had married a bride from among the Persian Empire, and he could not be more content. The next few chapters of her self-titled book will showcase a very wicked man juxtaposed against the righteous man. It was a tug of war between good and evil, between Life and certain death. Mordecai has been called Esther's uncle by many scholars. It was a, probably a more appropriate term through the years, decades, even centuries of preaching. He was actually her cousin by bloodline. But because he took her and raised her as her own, his position was probably more that of a, that of a father. Sometime after Esther became the queen... Mordecai learned the news of a Jewish holocaust. So he called the people to pray, hoping to thwart the impending peril. It does not appear that Mordecai was very convincing when he spoke to his own people. He really needed to have the ear of his daughter, cousin, Nice. The Jews did not seem to really accept his warning, and some perhaps maybe, but even still Mordecai prayed in the street. He cried at the gate. He tore his clothes, the Bible said, and he put on sackcloth and ashes. He himself became the spectacle. Meanwhile, Esther, this beautiful, hidden Jewish queen of Persia, was kept behind the palace walls. For those of you who know the book and the story, you will remember that it was through the prodding of Mordecai that Esther finally relented and approached the king as an intercessor on behalf of her people. Though she risked her life entering the royal courtroom as an uninvited guest, and though she approached the king without confidence of his reply, it was Mordecai's voice that pushed her forward. It was what he said that prodded her to enter as an intercessor. Esther's beauty, while coveted and admired by many, many people, it was simply an open door that led her to intercede for the lives of the innocent around her. At one point, Esther sent Mordecai new clothes. He must have been embarrassing to her. 
when she heard of what she was, what he was wearing, she had someone, a servant perhaps, send him a new set of clothes. He refused them, rejected them. He would not accept comfort or convenience while the nation was held in balance. The slaughter of the people was soon to come and he knew it. He wasn't just convinced of it. It was a, it was a deep-rooted conviction. Something must be done. In historical tradition, it is believed that when an oppressing army came to conquer any people, that they killed the men first. The philosophy was, if you kill the men, the rest are easy to conquer. After you kill the men... Then comes the younger boys, because boys grow up to be men. The thought among the conquering nations was to stop any possibility of soon-to-be soldiers. The philosophy was to thwart or stop or banish any potential warriors among them. They didn't want anyone that had potential to become great warriors. And after they killed the men and the potential... After they killed the backbone and the potential. Then they went after the women, the very young children, and the elderly. That was the pattern. Multiple thousands of years of conquest will tell a very similar story. In this particular case, that wicked man had a name. His name was Haman. He was both ruthless and evil. Not only was he blinded by pride, but he was consumed with rage and vengeance. He hated Mordecai. And he knew that he didn't want to just destroy Mordecai, but he wanted to destroy everyone like him. Mordecai also knew something. He, he knew the depths of the darkness of this man, and it drove Mordecai to a loud, inconsolable prayer. He was waking up praying. He was walking down the street praying. He wailed at noonday, and he interrupted their conversations at the evening. He walked to and fro, crying and making a scene. Not all, not every time, perhaps not in every place, but intercessors are rarely concerned with what other people think about them. You ever seen anyone in true intercessory prayer? It doesn't matter what time it is, and it won't matter who's around. You ever break off an intercessory prayer, nothing's going to hold you back. True people who are interceding on behalf of someone who's about to die. They will not be constrained. They'll fight tooth and nail. Yes. Mm -hmm. The greater need, the more outlandish they become. If you don't see the need, you'll relax. If there is no urgency, you'll be silent. But if you are, are in need, or you know someone who is in need... You tend to yell out. That's Mordecai. That was the voice of this man. Bible readers will probably remember the now famed words of Mordecai to Esther. I've found it in print. I found the single sentence on a plaque. I walked into a store where they were selling rubber band bracelets with the very words that I'll read to you. He said to Esther, and I quote, And who knows 
but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And the common phrase that's been sold and printed, burned and written on scrolls was such a time as this. We know those words. Many are familiar to them. Such a time as this. It has a certain value and a worth. And I stand here to tell you, I love those words. But those words are not the only words that Mordecai sent to Esther. In fact, that last line comes at the conclusion of a much more intense message by Mordecai. Mordecai did not simply say, Esther, honey, you know I love you now, and I want the best for your life. He did not say that. He did not tone down his rhetoric or soften his words or use some common or pleasant tone to appeal to her sense of compassion for people. His was not some passive phrase of encouragement born from the heart of a doting father by adoption. He was not stroking her ego or catering to her position that she was the queen. He did not address her as royalty or the queen. Mordecai sent this message back. He said in Esther 4.13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, You alone of all the Jews will escape. He's abrasive. He's straightforward. He's resolute. There's no softness in him. Don't think because you've got an easy life that you won't be affected. Don't buy into the lie that you're going to survive. Though the torment and the torrent is soon to come on all the people. Don't think that you're going to get out of this alive. All the trappings of the palace will not save you when the slaughter begins. All the beauty you possess will not cover your bloodline. You're not pretty enough to be covered up. You're not gracious enough to escape. You won't escape even if you are living in the king's house. Those beautiful wooden doors overlaid with gold won't keep out the judgment that's coming upon you and your family. Don't think that you're going to get out of this alive. And the garment of silk that you're wearing is not going to protect you from the sword of Haman. He will not spare you. Verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews is going to arise from another place. But you and your father's family, you're all going to die. If you say nothing, God will find somebody else and you're still going to die. If you hold your peace and don't do what God has commissioned you to do, he'll raise up somebody else. Do not think that you're the only one who can do this. Someone is going to step out while you're cast out. Someone's going to rise up while you're pushed out. And not just your family, not just you, but everybody around you. Remember all of us over here. Remember everybody over here living on the outside. We die also because that's how conquests go. We die first and then you die. They don't just kill the royalty, but they kill the whole family just in case someone comes back with vengeance. So listen, Esther. You came here because God gave you a gift. You didn't give it to yourself. God gave it to you. You were born that way. God gave it and your gift was your entry of influence. And now it's your time to use it right now. I don't want to move on yet. I know such a time as this. I got it. We're going to get there. 
So don't you think that you're getting out of this alive. Don't think that you cannot be replaced. That same husband of yours, banished, killed, put away, we do not know, but he got rid of the first queen, Vashti, and it won't be a problem for him to cut your head off once he learns that you're not a Persian. Because you've been pretending to be a Persian the whole time, and you, don't, you haven't told him yet. And if you think this has nothing to do with you or that it's not your responsibility, let me tell you that God is going to raise up another person or another people and he'll deliver his own folks, meaning you're not the only one. God can raise up anybody at any time to take your place. And now, let's get to the wristband. I'm so glad we can finally get to the wristband. And finally, who knows that this is the reason you've been given this profound, profound position for such a time as this. I don't want to get to the wristband because all the gimmicks that you find in the Christian bookstore, they are missing something. You got encouraged. You thought this was wonderful, but that's not what Mordecai said. The voice of Mordecai said, listen, you can be replaced. You're not getting out alive. You're not getting out unscathed. God will bring somebody out and you're going to die and your whole family's going to die. Walking around with a rubber band and a leather wristband and a little chain for such a time as this. You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't even know because you've latched on to the last phrase and you don't know the consequences of everything that came before. Hear me. It's not time for you to relax. you got to get serious and become the intercessor that God has called you to be. Now is the time to stand up. He's looking. He's searching for somebody. This is it. Say it with me. This is it. This is why you were born. This is why you're here. (laughs) This is why you're beautiful. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, this is why you're beautiful. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Turn to your other neighbor and say, this is why you're gifted. You're gifted not so you can have friends and make money. You're gifted and you're beautiful, not so you can enjoy your life. It's because God has called you to do something in this hour, in this season, in this time, in the historical moment that you're living in. This is why you have an outward appearance that surpassed all the rest. This is why you are alive at this very moment in time. There is a war coming, ladies and gentlemen, and people are going to die, and people are going to be lost, and the battle is approaching, and you were meant to be an intercessor on behalf of everybody who is in the way. So I preach the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit. Get out from behind your doors. Climb up from off your couch. Get out of your house and go find somebody that needs Jesus. This is your purpose of life. Get up. Get up. Get up and go. Get up and go. Get up and teach. Get up and reach. Go. I'll tell you what happened to us. We got inundated with vanilla, 
feel good motivational preachers. I'm not here to motivate you. I'm here to tell you there's a war coming and if you don't do it, you're going to die. This is it. This is it. This is the moment of truth. Here it is right here. This is it. The spirit world is stirring, plotting, planning, preparing for annihilation of the people of God. This is it. This is it. This is it. Now I'm going to present some things that might be uncomfortable to some of your tender ears. But this is it. There is an assault on the creation of God to distort everything God put in place. You are on the wrong side of society. When chemical castration is being fought for and, and promoted, it's a sick world and the devil is raging. But God has put you in the last moment of time, not because you are the weakest he puts his best in at the end. You're the best that God's got. You got to get up. You know more about the Lord. You got to rise up. You got to thank God. You got to speak in tongues. You got to pronounce prophecy and Holy Ghost. And in Spain last week, there's an uproar in Spain. They're very angry at the tourists that are coming. It was good for a while, but there's so many people coming to Catalonia. They're angry about it. They're very angry because people are coming and they're enjoying themselves in the cities. Mm -hmm. And people from all over the world are coming and they're going to the beaches and they're swimming in the ocean. This is really rough. I'm sorry. But they're going to the nude beaches and they're wearing clothes. And the Spaniards are angry and feel offended that the tourists are coming with clothes on. And they, it's written, they say we feel violated. Oh man, I'm telling you what, everything is upside down. I don't even know where I'm at. And here's the people of God just sitting back saying, well, it won't come to us. and We're just okay as long as we come to church and and I'll just clap my hands. You better wake up right now. You are given for a time like this. God has anointed you and appointed you. Get up, get up. This is it. This is your moment. This is our church. This is the gospel. This is the Holy Ghost. We've got to do something. Everybody ought to clap their hands right now unto the Lord. And you ought to shout to God, I've got to be an intercessor. Oh! People are lost. They need Jesus. And it's up to us to present Jesus. This is our purpose. This is our life. 
This is what God calls to do in this hour and at this point in history, in our city, in our neighborhoods. And he will if we will. Because we've come to the kingdom for this moment. I want to encourage you with these words. In my heart, I want to appeal to your sense of importance and self-worth. But the word of God is much stronger than that. If you won't move, God will raise up someone else to do it. As a body of believers, if we don't make a sacrifice, God will find someone else to make the sacrifice. God will seek someone else who will do the work. If you're not committed, God will find somebody else who will be committed. If you don't stand up, if you don't teach, if you don't witness, if you don't encourage, if you don't bring people to God, God will replace us with a church who will. And don't think it's going to be another apostolic church. It could be a no-name church or a non-denominational church because God can reveal his truth to anyone who's hungry. I'm, I get a little concerned when I hear the echoes of arrogance of believers, Pentecostals. And I wonder, maybe they don't know that God can and will replace them. And perhaps they've never read the parable of Jesus in Luke 14. When Jesus started the parable, and he, he goes like this, he said, this is a man, he was a great man, he's a man of money. And he asked many people to come. He sent his servant at supper time to say, come, everything's ready. Verse 18, and they all with one consent began to make an excuse. The first said to him, I, I, you know, I bought a piece of ground, I got needs. And... Verse 21, so the servant came back. He showed his Lord all these things. What was it? Everybody you wanted, all the special people, they all had an excuse. Well, here's what I got to do. Well, you know what? I don't have the strength. Well, I don't have time. Well, I'd like to go to prayer, but I can't do that. Well, I like to be involved, but you know, I got a lot of things on mine, and I think someone else can do it. I just bought some stuff, and I got to take care of it. So the servant came back and said all these things, and then the master of the house, being angry, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Get in your Bible and find out what Jesus said. The master of the house was angry and he said to his servant, then go out to the streets. Forget about everybody else I called at first. Get into the lanes of the city. Get those people that are poor and nobody wanted. Get the maimed, get the halt, get the blind. Verse 22, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as you has commanded. We still have room. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to the servant, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come because I want my house filled. Here's verse 24. Read it. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. We're not irreplaceable. You don't get hungry, God will find someone else to get hungry. You want to live like a bump on a pickle, he'll find somebody who's alive. You want to be the frozen chosen, he'll find somebody who's on fire. I'm going to tell you about our God. He's desperate for somebody to get out into the way and stand in the gap and make up the hedge. God brought you in. But it was not for your pleasure. It was so you could intercede on behalf of people. This is it. This is the time to be a witness. I was praying this week for college students, some of which are here, and I don't know all of you, 
but if you are in, if you are in college, ISU, Ivy Tech, St. Mary of the Woods, Rose Holman, I want you to stand if you're here in one of those universities. Thank you. Now hear me. While you're being educated, it's time for you to educate. You're not going to that school just to get a degree. You go to that school to be a witness. Because if you're in any one of those places, you're in a dark place. And the devil roams those halls. And the enemy is in the mouth of many of those teachers. So it's, it's up to you to be a light shining in a dark world. You don't go in that place with your head hung down. You go in there filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you step into the door, you say, I come in the name of the Lord. You come to me with education. You come to me with a lie. But I come to you with the gospel of truth. Three months ago, the CEO of a major company called BlackRock made a statement. This is what he said. We have got to condition people to believe what we want them to believe. And all and all of the companies need to, need to submit, and I'm paraphrasing, be willing to lose some money so that we can condition the people to adopt what we believe. It's a philosophy of a distorted life. Even in a place like St. Mary's, I thought was a good place until they had an educational time and, and, and a distorted person walked in to educate or re-educate all the students. There are no, th- no places where you can go that you're not going to hear it. So instead of kowtowing and backing down, you should be the people of God and stand up and say, hey, we're here to save somebody. You're lost. It's time. This is just my thought. I gave you what God thinks, but here's just my thought. Every time I walk in the house... I want to exercise the Holy Ghost because I know I've got to have the strength of the Holy Ghost in my life. Every time I walk in, I'm going to join in praise and worship because when I leave this house, I want to be full of power and authority of the Holy Spirit. When you come into this house, you ought to take advantage of the liberty that you feel. You don't know the day that will come. You don't know what tomorrow may hold. Or on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, you're going to be in an atmosphere where you are forbidden to say anything. They don't want you to look a certain way. You ought to exercise everything you can when you get into the house of God. You've got liberty to worship. You ought not be remain silent. If you're silent, God will replace you. Look, listen, I know it seems harsh, but that's what Jesus said. When the Pharisees came, they said, now, now Jesus, tell the people not to be worshiping you. And look at all this stuff that they're doing. And they're, they're pulling off branches and they're laying them in your feet. And, and they're, they're crying out, just Hosanna, tell, tell them to be quiet. And this is what Jesus said. If they hold their peace, I'll put vocal cords in the rock 
and the rock will cry out because I can replace anybody at any time to give me praise. If you don't praise him and you don't worship, somebody else is going to praise him. I feel like the voice of Mordecai is in this house saying, come on now, don't think that you're going to escape. Now is the time. Today is the day. You are a witness and the purpose is to reach the lost. shout to God we gotta save the world we gotta save our city If the historical record is true, and the men are under attack first, I can only think this is what's happening in America. So I'm going to call for men. You just give me a moment. In a moment, I'm going to call for you to be a a soldier in God's army, a witness, a prayer warrior, a worker, a teacher, a leader. I don't know how you want to signify it, but it'd be good if, if the men would just lift up their hand. You can count on me, Pastor. I pray right now in the name of Jesus for our men. I pray, God, that you would empower them with boldness and the Holy Ghost. I put a hedge of protection around their mind, and I pray that they would become great and mighty men of power. I pray for our men of this house, those that are present and those who cannot be here tonight. I pray the Holy Ghost anointing on them. I pray that spiritual gifts would be endued on high into their life. The gift of prophecy for our men. The gift of tongues and interpretation for our men. The gift of wisdom, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles. I pray for discernment of spirits to come onto our men. Supernatural gifts of the Holy Ghost. If you want it, then ask God and God will give it to you. That's the Bible. If you're under 20, stay in your seat. Come on, men. Here you go. He's the devil's coming after you first. If he's coming after you first, we're going to lift up you first. Out of your mouth, I want you to pray until you speak in other tongues. Pray, men, until you speak in other tongues. Let the Holy Ghost come out of your mouth. Don't give up on your responsibility. God put you here for this moment.
This is our missionary to Lebanon. He's been there for decades and he's fought all kinds of spiritual battles. These are our missionaries. These are apostles. You're looking at apostles and the word of the apostle is going to go forth and he's going to pray. Brother Staren's going to pray and he's going to pray the word of faith over our men right now in Jesus' name. Men, lift up your hand. Pray it. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of the Lord God Almighty. My Lord, you have set the heavens in its place, my Lord. You have ordained everything, my Lord. You put the earth in the right place. You have set the sun in the right place. You have set the moon in the right place, my Lord. And everything has been ordained by you. Everything has been set by you. And you have made everything in perfection. You have made the four seasons in its perfection. And my Lord, you have set perfection in the church, my Lord. You have set order in the church, my Lord. You have set your man of God in the church, my Lord. And we are here to stand up for truth and righteousness in the mighty name of Jesus. The devil is attacking the world. The devil is attacking the church. The devil is attacking families. And in Jesus' name, we stand strong. Let the men stand strong. The devil is attacking the men by the authority of the name of Jesus. My Lord, let your anointing right now come upon these men in the name of Jesus. Let us stand like never before. Let us have authority like never before. Let us pray like never before. Let us intercede like never before. Let us lay hands on the sick. They're going to be healed because we are here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pray over the women and the children in this house. In the name of Jesus, this is the time. There is no other time. There is no delay. There is no procrastination. There are no excuses. This is the time. This is my time. This is your time. Do not delay. Hallelujah, Lord. We know that you have the ability, Lord. We know that you have given it to us, Lord. It is our time now, Lord. We need to speak the word according to what you have told us, Lord. We know that you are the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. Hallelujah. As Esther did, we will do, we shall do, we shall overcome by the word of our testimony, Lord. By the blood of your sacrifice, Lord, that is over us, Lord. We cannot delay. We cannot procrastinate. It is now. No, 
Clap your hands unto the Lord. When I closed my Bible after the Lord spoke to me, the Lord gave, gave me a, a conditional promise. And I found it in the Word, so I knew it wasn't just a random thought. If we will become intercessors, if we'll be in the way and make up the hedge, the whole church, everybody. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how new you are to the, to the church. This is your church. This is your house too. This is your home. This is where you are. This, this is it. This is you right here. You don't just attend this church. You are the church. If we become intercessors, the Lord just threw this in my lap. Joel 2.23. That's what the Lord spoke to me. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain just moderately. Brother Guerrero got up in this pulpit, and he said it a couple times, and when he was done, he said, Brother Harper, I want you to know, I didn't just say that. He said, I didn't just say the best is yet to come. He said, I feel that in the Holy Ghost. For he hath given you the former rain moderately. But now he's going to cause something else to happen. Because the former rain and the latter rain are going to come together in the first month. I don't know how that translates here, but I just feel that I'm going to receive the promise that if we become intercessors, the former and the latter rain are going to come together.